that. So the other thing that marks is that two years ago from this Sunday, we only gathered publicly for five Sundays before this thing called COVID was introduced into our lives. And they were like, hey, look, we need to shut everything down for a while, take a couple weeks off. You know, life will be back to normal by Easter and we'll just kind of be getting back at it. So we were like, okay, we're meeting at Heaton Elementary. You know, let's push pause. We'll go on to Zoom for a few weeks and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, and then like, here we are today. Uh, some of that's changed, not all of it, but we like continue to be in this season. Um, and so I've wondered over this last two years, like how many people in this room have you had the thought or maybe even said out loud, I just wish things would go back to normal? And it, that's kind of a relative question, right? Like, how do you measure normal? Then also, who's normal are you talking about, right? Because that's not the same for everybody. Um, so I, I can give, you know, uh, maybe here's a couple ways we could measure this. Um, so just simply, have you ever hoped over these last two years that we weren't still in a global pandemic and life would go back to normal, right? Like, let's just, let's start there. Um, you could go back to a normal day without not navigating this, the, the fatigue that comes with making decisions over and over again when life just feels so unknown and risky and scary. Um, where you don't find yourself in one of the most politically charged climates that somehow seeped into every single relationship that you have. I wish life could go back to normal. In a climate where actually judging the humanity of other people, what, what, like what it means to be human and whether they're human or not. We're judging that based on whether they choose to wear masks or not. We're judging that based on did they get vaccinated or not. We judge that based off are they Dodgers or Giants fans. That one's been around for a while. That's, I guess that's forever. Couple, nobody, any, no? Okay, there you go, a couple people, yeah. So you guys can talk about that afterwards. But really, like, could life go back to normal? Could we not continue to just have to do this day in, day out, week in, week out? This thing that continues to affect our lives in ways that we could never imagine and probably never want to experience again. Now, a couple things. Bad news. We'll start with the bad news. We're not the first people to experience something like this, of longing to go back to normal. The good news that we're not the first people to experience the longing to go for life to go back to normal. Like, we're not alone in that. For thousands of years, society has gone up and down in so many different ways. People's lives have gone up and down in so many different ways. And in each time, when we start to step into the unknown, when we start to step into things that we cannot control, the natural tendency as human beings is to get everything to go back to normal. The discomfort that it brings the challenges that it brings, the things that it's doing inside of us that we may, may not like, the things that force us to look inwards and also to look outwards in certain ways. But a couple thousand years ago, there was this fringe movement, essentially, of these, these people that were being known to start following the way. And what it was is these people that were starting to follow Jesus. They were known as Jesus followers. Or in their climate, their cultural context, they started to become known as Christians. But they were made fun of in that name because they were like little Christ. It was a derogatory term. Right? We, we wear that boldly, but it really did start off as like joking about people. Making fun of this little fringe movement that was operating within culture, but counterculturally, 
aside from culture. It was not the power of the time. It was not the dominant culture of the time. And this morning, we're going to just peek into their lives. So this next six weeks, we're looking at how God is bigger than your background. And we're doing that through the letter of Galatians, uh, a guy named Paul, who planted the church, uh, planted a bunch of churches, and was a, was a big leader through this little fringe movement, is writing back to the people in this city called Galatia. And, and what he's doing is he's, he's writing to a few different things. Um, because what was really happening is, and I don't think we always grasp this fully, I know I don't, but as he's writing to these, these Jesus followers, these little Christ, these Christians back then, he, he's writing to actually people whose worlds are absolutely colliding. It, it is not just this normal life where you kind of choose whether you're going to go to worship on a Sunday or not, where you kind of really get to pick of, of kind of who you're around, and we kind of take on these, these you know, single ways of worshiping and operating, just in all of our lives in general. He's writing to people who are deeply ingrained in cert- certain cultures, their stories, their backgrounds, their families, their religion, and all of a sudden, it's all getting ripped open, just unended, and then they're, they're coming together. And Paul's writing to them. Here, here's a few of them. So we can think about the people who may have been living in Galatia who are not Jewish. They, do not, they, they are not ethnically Jewish. They are not culturally Jewish. They are not religiously Jewish people. Okay? They would be just your average day person outside of the, the Jewish tradition. And they're just going about their lives. They are worshiping their idols. They have many to pick from. Religion is, is just very, very popular in that time. And there's a ton of ways to actually participate in religion. And this whole group, at some point, some of them started to be attracted to the person of Jesus, to the life of Jesus, to, to see that Jesus was bringing something different enough that I'm going to convert my life to the way. But I'm actually going to start uh, actually participating in a way with other people differently than me who are saying that they want to be with, they want to become like, and they want to do what Jesus was doing. Now, what that meant for them, one of the biggest things they started to give up is idol worship. Like the rest of their families, their friends, their co-workers, their neighbors. And, I mean, you can't just get away from idol worship. It's in your pocket. It's the little things in your house. It's the, the festivals and the, the, the things that your city is celebrating daily, weekly, monthly. Like you were ingrained in this culture of idol worship. And all of a sudden you're saying, no, I'm going to go follow this one God. This one person claiming to be God, should I say. And in that time. In that day, for these people to do that, for them to step away from all of that, you actually looked at when things went wrong in life, when a global pandemic hit, you look at it saying that the gods were angry. When natural disasters happened, when things that were of tragedy were happening, you would say the gods are angry with us. So then to be the person that's no longer worshiping idols and you're turning away, you're seen as now neglectful. You're actually the reason the gods are angry with us because you're not worshiping the gods, you're not doing the rituals, you're not doing the sacrifices. You very quickly become the talk of your family, the talk of your neighbors. You're the person that is straying away from all things normal. Right, so you have that group of people. Life's easy there. And then you move into what would be called, considered to be like our our religious Jewish, Jews, religious Jewish people. These are practicing Jews. These are people who have grown up in, born into, uh, the descendants of Abraham. Like, they are Jewish through and through. 
Everything about their lives centers around being Jewish. Their culture, their rituals, their practices, the way they interact with other people, the way they act, interact with the city. And what starts to happen, and again, these, these are all few things about these people. You, you go in so many different ways. But one is that in Rome, the Jews actually had permission to worship one God. When everyone else is, is, is actually worshiping idols, Jews had permission. The, the, the Roman Empire actually said, hey, we'll give you permission. Because oftentimes what they said is, we can either give them permission and now they will contribute to society in different ways. And hey, let them worship their little God. But here's the deal. When you worship your God, you also need to be praying for us as Rome. Right? So here's a couple things. Here, here's, but what starts to happen is you're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to take this permission. We're going to operate in Rome in a way that, that you're, you're actually kind of forcing the way we interact. But we know that one day our king is coming. And what he's going to do is he's going to overthrow you. We are now going to become the dominant power. And then you get this little fringe movement of people, of, of Jews, now converting to the way, who are starting to pull away from their religion, from their families, from their neighbors, from everything that they know, from that normal life. And those that were Jewish start to think, these people are going to mess it up. For God to come back, for him to come in and conquer on our behalf, to make all things good, to fulfill the promise he's given to us, all those that are moving away from Judaism and becoming Christians, following Jesus, they're messing it up. Can you imagine how that started to change their families, how they were viewed by their peers? how they were viewed in their neighborhood, in their workplaces. Again, they are not becoming popular. And then you had your ethnic Jews. These people would kind of be caught in the middle, um, Paul actually being one of them. Um, and they, they accept Jesus as the Messiah. Right, so they, they now come and they say, hey, I, I have this one God. I'm going to worship this one person. And what starts to happen is as this good news is being announced, it, it starts to get confusing. And that, now there's, there's certain complications that start to come up in their lives. And the social pressures that, that they start to experience would start to unravel everything that they've ever stood on. How they've understood Genesis, how they've understood the Psalms, how they, how they understand any of the prophetic literature. And they're kind of caught in the middle here. That they've converted, but everything is telling them to now go back. Everything is saying, come back to the ways that you've known life to be. Come back to the normal things that you've done in our religion. And it's in these worlds colliding, where people are on unstable ground, where they are less and less popular and respected in their backgrounds, in their cultures, in their families, in their workplaces. And Paul writes this, Galatians 3.3, 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Paul seems to be saying that in this time of high anxiety, in the time of pulling away from your background, in the, in the time of actually committing your life to something greater that is true and good and beautiful and right, 
the way that I'm calling you to through my son, through Jesus. Paul's saying, in this time, don't go back. Do not, do not go back to life as normal. Do not go back to the way that you've always known it. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you're being persecuted. I know that you're becoming less popular and less respected. I know that you are hated by some right now. I, I know that following Jesus is costing you something than you probably ever thought it would. But don't go back. Trust in the Spirit of God that is working in and through you. Do not go back to the cultural rituals that you've relied on for this long. Don't go back. The way of Jesus had invited them into a new way of life. And this was costing them much. This was very uncomfortable. Socially, it was everything that they were not to be doing. And then Paul does this. He points to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And he says in verse 6, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what he does in this moment, for all of those that are kind of wanting to pull away in this highly anxious time, when it's not making sense to continue following Jesus, and it makes sense to go back to life as normal, Really what he's doing is he's drawing maybe the largest figure of everything that represents Judaism, their faith, their history, their culture. And in, when, when it's saying, when they're saying that people have to be Jewish like us, as they're trying to get everyone to conform to the Jewish religion, he points to the forerunner and he says it was his faith. It was his faith in which made him righteous. It was his faith in which God was going to work through. It was in his faith that God was going to fill his promise to them. It wasn't the cultural patterns or customs. It was his faith. Meaning if you look to Abraham, writing to these people, he was saying it is going to be your faith. It is your faith in following Jesus. It is going to bring you in rightness with God. It is going to bring you about abundant life. It is going to bring all things under my feet. Not your culture. Not your background. I think Brian said it last week. He was like, I don't want to be up here. I don't want to do this. And I kind of felt like that today coming in. Like this is this, it's like, do you realize that following Jesus in so many ways you will not become more respected in culture. You are risking becoming less respected in your families, in your places of work, your friends, the people you grew up with. Like over and over again, there's a cost to following Jesus. And so I think about us. I think about the cultures and the backgrounds that we find ourselves in. Family, friends, um, politics, religion, uh, the, way, the way in which you operate. And I think about you that maybe have kind of found yourself following Jesus and I don't know, your family looks at it differently. Maybe you have parents who are highly educated that think that Christianity is for those who are uneducated. Or maybe those that, that, are, that are strong and they think that Christianity is for the weak. And as you continue to pursue Jesus, you more and more are pulling away from your family, 
friends and coworkers. I mean, as you, as you take stock around who you work with, as your life starts to be more and more transformed by the generosity of Jesus, you start using your money differently. And it might mean less beach trips and less plane flights and less concerts on the weekend. I, I don't know. It might start to separate you from your friends, who you also find in the same socioeconomic status. They start to wonder, like, where, where are you going? Why, why would you do that for that single mother? Why would you do that for that refugee? Why, why would you do these? This does not make sense. And you become less and less respected. Maybe you're right-leaning politically. And in, in your circle of those that you operate with politically, you start to talk a little bit about biblical justice and how that works itself out socially a little bit. And they kind of look at you like, all right, you, what are you saying? What are you talking, like, what's wrong with you? Or maybe you lean left. And maybe there is like a moral ethic for thousands of years that, that does bring about life. And you start to appreciate that a little bit more. And people kind of stare at you like, I can't figure you out. Or maybe you lose a little bit of respect. Maybe it's the, the older generation that all power doesn't have to be centralized. And as you talk about things of the younger voices and the generations coming up and good things that are happening when power is not centralized, they look at you funky. Right? Or maybe the young millennial who like, man, the pressure is on to not judge. Like, man, you need, you need to be tolerant. You need, you need to give in to, to my wishes, my will. But you kind of actually hold out. And, and you know, you're not, you don't just judge the rich. But you love them. I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of layers here. As it starts to work out in your life, people start to look at you a little bit differently. And maybe you start to lose a little bit of the clout with them. And they start to question your decisions. How are you doing with that? I think for all of us, what ends up happening is our life looks a little bit more like risk. You know, and we want life to go back to normal. It's oftentimes because we're, we're very risk avoidant. Right? We like control. We like comfort. But following Jesus is a life of risk. Edwin Friedman, Jewish rabbi, family therapist. I'm not going to give you any of his philosophical stuff. Um, but he, he boils it down to a few words. To become this person that can hold to your own values and convictions but still pursue people, still relate, remain connected to them. In this, in this journey that we're on, as we confront unknowns, we don't know the future ahead, but it's highly uncomfortable. He says, can you practice three words? I don't know. I wonder how much freedom that brings. Because you're feeling this tension and the pain of, of pulling away from your background, of what you know that's comfortable, of, of cultural norms in so many ways. You may not have all the answers of how it's going to play out or what it's going to look like or that it's all going to be repaired and it's going to feel really good again. But I think a lot of life with Jesus is saying, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. But here's how I feel right now. Jesus is calling me to this. Jesus is calling me to this way. Now, a big part of this, I think Paul pulls from a number of areas. Um, you know, a lot of Old Testament. 
But then I wonder, I wonder like his influence when Jesus said something like this in Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Does anyone wake up and like read that one in the morning? So encouraging. So encouraging. Like, what do you do with that, though? What do you do with that? Now, here's the deal. I don't think what Jesus is saying or what Paul's getting at means you run around and you just create friction with every relationship you have for the sake of it. You don't go about just like rubbing things in people's face and, you know, trying to get them to see how different you are. I think that would be a really bad move. But I think what he's saying is that in this, as you start to follow me, can you sit in the tension? Can you sit in the tension that I'm asking you to put me above everything else, everyone else? And that what that might feel like is that you hate your friends, is that you hate your family background. They might feel that way, no question. But the other side of it, if Jesus is asking the same thing of you, is he not asking the same thing of them? And how much is he communicating that I love you so much that I think it's worth it? I think it's worth it that you actually put me above everything else. And how much is he saying the same thing to them? Because my daughter screams from downstairs. And how much is he saying everything else? That he loves them just as much as he loves you as he's calling you. So the challenge, you may find yourself in life with Jesus becoming less popular and less respected. You know, it's not a popular message. So I would also question if you're not feeling this anywhere. If you're not feeling this tension in your life right now, what does that say? Does that say something? Are you too similar to everybody around you? Are you not stepping out and taking risks? And letting God's spirit speak to you and call you further in ways that you probably don't want to go. That was what I was confronted with this week. Am I feeling this enough? Am I feeling this tension or am I wanting to conform to my background? Am I wanting to conform to the cultural pockets I find myself in? Do I want to be liked and respected more than I want to step into the cost of discipleship to Jesus? And if so, what's lost? Because I don't think Jesus wastes many words. I think he has a plan for it. With great intention. More than we could ever imagine. So what am I losing out on if I'm not feeling this tension? So here's what I'd like to do. Um, is there a handful of minutes? If somebody wants to take me up on it. Um, if not, the message will just be shorter. And... No one ever gets mad at a short message. Um, but I'd be curious, and this needs to be a pretty unique situation. Like, you've got to be able to kind of name this and be like, man, I'm in this right now. Like, with this certain person or this certain group of people that I find myself in, I'm feeling this. I feel myself moving in a way in which they are starting to question me. They're, they're starting to, there's starting to be some friction with these past relationships in this area because I'm progressing in this or I'm making these decisions or anything like that. And what I'd love to do is just coach you a little bit.
for a handful of minutes. Um, and we could all learn from it. Uh, and again, coaching, it's not a question and response session. Um, it's not me just giving advice. Uh, it's me actually asking you questions in your own situation and you just kind of processing out loud. Um, does a couple things. It helps you step out of yourself to actually process the scenario. And I think it also creates space for God's spirit to speak. Um, so, my formal ask, would anybody like to be coached for a handful of minutes? If you find yourself in a situation right now where you're feeling this tension and you're not really sure how to navigate it. Kyle, thank you for that. Um, I mean, I don't know. Coaching is usually about an hour long, and I think that was six minutes. Um, so a lot more there. But I just want to point out a few things. And Kyle, thank you so much for that. Um, like, that tension is real, right? Like, if I start to think about, if I was just to just blanketly lay out all of my beliefs and the way I, I stand on things, it's probably going to run, rub some people the wrong way. And that they may not like me. They may not agree with me, right? But I think what you're also naming in that is how do we still have a posture that says, like, I like you. I love you. I care about you. And so I, I think this, the distinction between these two things is how do we become, going back to Edwin Freeman, self-differentiated people that says that I can have beliefs and convictions and things that I deeply value and there's a lot of people that speak into that, and, you know, we believe that, that Jesus is helping identify that. But while I disagree with people, and while they disagree with me, while they don't respect me, while they don't like me, I can still pursue a relationship with them, right? And it may not look like every perfect, glorious relationship, but can I be self-differentiated? Can I operate in a way that continues to move towards people? even while I'm moving away in what might be deemed in their eyes. And sit in that tension that life with Jesus is going to cost you something. It really is. If it's not costing you anything right now, I think that's a good question to sit with for a while. And ask God to highlight the areas. In which way am I seeking to just be a part of back to normal? In what ways am I scared to separate from my background, the cultural distinctives that I find myself in?